0: Well, hi everybody. It's such a blessing to be with you and to have this opportunity to share what we're calling a midweek message. And this midweek message is going to be used throughout the church during the month of October. Now, I appreciate uh, you may be watching in a life group uh, or by yourself or with a family. And I just want to say, however you're watching, whoever you're with, I pray that this message will be a great blessing to you. And really helpful in all that God wants to do amongst us at this time. Uh, I've called this message, Our Great Commission to the Towns and Villages. Or just to say that slightly differently, Our Great Co-Mission to the Towns and Villages. And I want to begin by reading two short passages. The first is from Matthew 9. You've heard me read this many, many times. Matthew 9 verse 35 to Matthew 10 verse 2 followed by Philippians uh, chapter one, verses one to seven. So first of all, reading from Matthew nine, verse 35, and I'm reading from the Holman translation. It says, "'Then Jesus went to all the towns and villages, "'teaching in their synagogues, "'preaching the good news of the kingdom, "'and healing every kind of disease "'and every kind of sickness. "'When he saw the crowds, he felt compassion on them, because they were weary and worn out like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. And summoning his 12 disciples, he gave them authority over unclean spirits to drive them out and to heal every disease and sickness. And these are the names of the 12 apostles. And the list of the names follows on. And it goes on to say, um, verse verse seven, as you go, announce this, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those with skin diseases, drive out demons, for you've received free of charge. So give free of charge. We'll come back to those verses. Uh, And now if you turn to Philippians chapter one, verses uh, one to seven, The Apostle Paul writes this letter to the Philippian church and he says this. Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the elders and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you Always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to think this way about all of you because I have you in my heart and you are partners. You're all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in In the defence and establishment of the gospel, Um, you know, one of the most uh, exciting and yet yet deeply challenging things we can do is to read the New Testament and see how rapidly the gospel was advanced by the early church. Throughout the Book of Acts, we see, uh, we read, and see multitudes being added. We see a daily addition. We see and read about whole regions that were saturated with the gospel. And we read in Acts 17, verse 6, it says it was reported of the early church that they had turned the world upside down. And I find it absolutely stunning to think that within just a couple of decades of his own call and commission, Paul says, I have fully proclaimed the gospel from Jerusalem all the way round to Illyricum," which was which was the north west of Greece. And he goes on to say, this is in Romans 15, he says, I no longer have any work to do in these provinces. Can you imagine that? I'm not sure whether there's been a 30-year period in the whole of history that's been more fruitful for the church than that first first thrust of the gospel by the early church. And yet I think, you know, if, if the first century world needed gospel transformation with such urgency, then How much more the 21st century world? And for us right now, whilst this is a time of regathering, it is also surely a time of ingathering as well. So I want to discover what, um, whatever I can that will be most helpful for me and for us. I want to know how did this happen? Uh, Why were they so successful? What is the New Testament dynamic that is here for us in the pages of scripture? What, What can we learn? And I think a lot of um, the success, a lot of the, the, the rapid growth has to do with the way the apostles worked in partnership with the churches and the elders, as Paul described there for us in Philippians 1. In verse 5, he says, I, I thank God with, uh, because of your partnership in the gospel with me. And he's writing to the church together with the elders and the deacons. I thank God for our partnership. In verse 7, I have you all in my heart. You are all partners with me in grace. And the word he's using is a is a word you may be familiar with. It's it's koinonia. Uh, it's also translated as fellowship, but it means to to share something in common, to to participate together. When he talks about them being all partners with him in grace, the word is um The word means to be close companions, to be joint sharers, to be partakers or co-partners together. Paul, Timothy, the apostles were partners with the churches, with the elders and the deacons in the churches, with the church as a whole. There was a great big partnership going on in which they all brought their respective gifts, their burdens, their callings they all brought them together for the the benefit of everybody. So I wonder what the New Testament shows us about the way that partnership was expressed, the way that relationship between um, the ministries, the elders, the churches, all of them together, the way it was outworked. It was recently my great privilege to speak at a conference about some of these things. And so what i wanted to do in this um in this message is just to take a few of the aspects of of what this partnership looked like what this relationship that seems to be so vital to the to the advance of the gospel what it all looked like and and in particular just to mention today just four things that we see in the new testament and and by contrast things we don't see what do we see and what what do we don't what we don't see and and i want to just share four of these things and i just, pause after um, the first two and pose a question that you can consider together in the groups if you're meeting in life groups today and another question at the end just to try and make this quite practical for us. So as we read the, the New Testament, I, th- I think the first thing we see about this partnership is that it, it was for mission. It was for mission and not for maintenance. The, the t- whole timeline of the New Testament is is, is one that shows growth and expansion and enlargement uh, from start to finish. A rapidly growing church and an outward looking perspective that made that growth possible. Jesus was coming back and the believers understood that their task was to be part of proclaiming his gospel um, as we saw in, in Matthew 9 and 10, and it's worth um, just having another look back at those at some point, but, but the whole context for Jesus appointing the 12, the first 12 apostles, was that um, the Lord of the harvest had been through the towns and villages and had been struck with the great need, with the crowds, the multitudes who were weary and worn out, and he had a gospel of good news, of a gospel to proclaim and to demonstrate that he wanted the whole world to hear. And so he he tells the 12 to pray that the Lord would send workers out into the harvest field. And then, and then immediately, as you know, they become the answer to that prayer as he sends them out and names them and commissions them and authorizes them as apostles. It was for mission. Uh, these 12 were then later at the end of Matthew's gospel are given the, the great commission to make disciples of all nations. It's to these original apostles that that Jesus in, in Acts chapter one promises you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The, the, the baptism in the Holy Spirit was to empower them to be witnesses. It was for mission. And then um As you read on in Acts chapter nine, Paul is called and converted, dramatic conversion. And and the purpose of his his conversion and his commission is to thrust the gospel and the mission into the Gentile communities. And um, from Acts 13 onwards, we just read of churches being planted everywhere. And it seems to me that after they had Replanted the churches after the apostles had planted the churches the churches continued carried on continued on in mission mode their goal it seems was to saturate their locality with the gospel and in Colossians 1 verse 6 we read that the gospel was bearing fruit and growing in Colossae and in 1 Thessalonians 1 and verse 8 uh, Paul says the Lord's message rang out from Thessalonica into every place in the surrounding region. The churches uh, were not called to build something that was static, that was inward looking, that was self-serving, but to be outward looking. The church in Antioch became a base for Paul and his companions to evangelise uh, Galatia. Paul writes to the Corinthians and he wants them to help him go into Macedonia and Judea. And he writes to the Romans and he asks them to help him go into Spain. Um, And what we're seeing here is co-mission, partners together in mission, churches involved in something much bigger than themselves, much their horizons stretched way beyond their own locality and into the wider world. These New Testament churches were apostolic And I don't mean by that simply that they were founded and and overseen and cared for by apostles. That is true. But they're apostolic in the sense that they too are sent forth and joined with the apostles in their mission and their commission. And I don't think it would have um, crossed their minds to think in any other way. They were together in this. And I believe that for us, it's harvest time. There is great need everywhere. People are weary and worn out, harassed and helpless, exhausted, confused, lost. All around us, it's harvest time and workers are urgently needed. And we are called to be partners together in mission, not in maintenance. All of us working together to open new doors, to welcome new people, to go to new places. We're not here just to be well cared for or well organized or well taught. This is a day of our great co-mission. So that's the first thing I believe we see. And we could say much more about that or any of these. Um, but the second thing, and it's very much linked with, with this, is that we see, as we, as we look at the way the churches and the leaders, the ministries all work together, we see co-workers, not in any way competitors We read that phrase a lot, co-workers. Um, Paul will say, you know, there's one body, there's one spirit, there's one Lord, there's one hope, there's one faith, there's one baptism. And in this oneness, what we don't find is competition. They were in it together. They were on the same team. Um, When Paul goes to uh, Galatia, he describes this in Galatians chapters 1 and 2, but in Galatians 2 particularly, he says he went to um, Jerusalem, I beg your pardon, he went to Jerusalem to meet Peter, James and John. And um, he says, they gave me the right hand of fellowship. And it means, it's the right hand of koinonia, it's the right hand of partnership. Other other translations um, say they um, they accepted us as their co-workers or they gave us the, the, hand, the right hand of fellowship as a sign that we were all partners. They were partners. Partners, they were co-workers, and you know many other of the um, of the believers were described as co-workers. Have a look at Romans sixteen, and you'll see that Paul says Aquila and Priscilla were his co-workers, and Urbanus was his co-worker. He also writes about um, Epaphroditus being his co-worker, Clement being his co-worker. Um, he and Apollos, he says, we worked into Corinth, and we were we were God's co-workers and this this idea of of being co-workers of being in it together um extends beyond individuals beyond beyond some of these people we've named and and includes churches as as a whole were seen as co-workers. I love the fact that when Paul returns from his first mission trip in acts 14 he's been out sent out with Barnabas from antioch and when they return to antioch at the end of acts 14. It says, um, after they arrived, they gathered the church together and they reported everything God had done with them and that he'd opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. So here's Paul and Barnabas. They've been away for two years on this mission trip and they come back and they just gather the whole church together because they were all in this together. The church had sent them out. The church as a whole had released them and sent them and been praying for them for two years and at the end of two years they they call the whole church together and they report this news of this tremendously successful mission in Galatia they report the news to the whole church because they were all in it together I love the way also that Paul asks um, asks whole churches to pray for him um, he does that at, at the end of Romans at the end of Ephesians at the end of Colossians at the end of second Thessalonians he asks the churches to pray for him because, you know, as gifted as he was, uh, he knew he couldn't succeed without a large team of co-workers. I believe we are called together to be co-workers in a common mission. And that a vital key for us in the next uh, few years is that we recognise and we um, appreciate uh, the different, um, the different gifts, the different burdens, the different talents, the different callings on people's lives that are amongst us, that we recognise, the different creative initiatives God has given to those in our body, to those across our related churches, and and that we appreciate God has arranged His body, as it says in Corinthians, just as He wants, with all the parts just where He wants them, and. Um, We must let the body be the body. We must let the body of Christ with all its gift, with all its burden, with all its talent, with all its anointing, with all its charismatic manifestations, we must let the body be the body. And we must um, let the body uh, work as God wants it to work. We must take off restraints that that limit the body. Uh, We must allow the body to function as he intends so that it grows as he intends. We're all in this together. Let's cheer each other on. It's exactly how God has arranged things. None of us has all that we need to accomplish all that God's got for us. But together, as co-workers, I believe we can turn our world upside down. I just am going to pause there and ask if you're, if you're meeting uh, and listening, watching together as a group, as a life group, or with, with somebody else. Maybe you could just pause at this point and consider this question. What gifts or burdens has God put amongst you in your group? Uh, what gifts, what burdens, what longings, what desires has God put, especially as they relate to mission, And reaching out. What what has God put amongst you that needs to find a practical outworking or expression? And how could that happen? What do you see in each other? How can you help each other blossom? How can you cheer each other on? So have some time thinking about that, talking together. I'm sure that will be a, a kind of a springboard to much further discussion later on, but you can begin that discussion now and then. And then maybe before you come back and continue with the second middle section of what I want to share, perhaps you could pray together for your fellow missionaries in your groups. Okay, so God bless you as you do that. If you're coming back now, I just want to say um, we've looked so far at the fact that we are um, called together to work in mission, not just in maintenance, and to function as co-workers, not competitors. And the third uh, third thing I want to say is that when we look at the New Testament and we consider how the churches grew so rapidly, how the gospel was, was proclaimed and demonstrated so effectively across such a huge geographic area we see the Holy Spirit, not human strategy. We see the Holy Spirit, not human strategy. And we can't read the book of Acts without marvelling at the way the Holy Spirit leads and directs and empowers all the action. This is the record of his mighty works, the Holy Spirit. He is the one who first baptises, immerses the Jewish believers in Acts chapter 2 in his his life, in his power, in his anointing to be witnesses. He baptises them in himself, immerses them in himself. He does the same with the Gentile believers in Acts chapter 10 in Cornelius' home. It's the Holy Spirit. And I'm just referencing very specific things here. In Acts 13, in the opening verses, it's the Holy Spirit who sets apart Barnabas and Saul and sends them out to do his work it's the holy spirit it's the holy spirit in acts 15 who makes the big doctrinal decision about whether or not the gentiles should be circumcised so so that acts 15 verse 28 says it was the holy spirit's decision and ours to put no greater burden on you it was the holy spirit's decision uh, it was the holy spirit who sets in the elders. That's clear in Acts 20, 28. It's the Holy Spirit who directs the strategy, who transports Philip, who adjusts all Peter's perspectives, who directs Paul and and, and makes sure that he stays out of trouble at times. This is the story of the Holy Spirit at work, and it's not a record of human strength. The Holy Spirit is a missionary. He loves the lost. He draws people to Christ. He does the inner work of, uh, of regeneration. He's the one that moves us with compassion. And he, the Holy Spirit, is the same, just the same today as he was in the first century. And I also just want to say in this respect, um, the story in Acts is is of the Holy Spirit directing a, a massive uh, move of, of God amongst people and a movement of people that meet primarily from house to house. Do a little study of that phrase, house to house. Have a look at Acts two forty six, Acts 5, 42, Acts 20, 20, Acts 28, 23, Acts 28, 30 and 31. Have a look at 1 Corinthians 16, verse 19, Romans 16, verse 5, and other places, and you will see the church met from house to house. They met in their homes. There wasn't a church building in sight. And that alone is a real key to how the work advanced so rapidly. They made use of what they had. They weren't held back in any way because Uh, They didn't have something they thought they needed. They made use of what they had. What's in your hand, Moses? They had their houses. They met in their houses. And so Acts is for us a permanent record of what can happen when we take the restraints off and we let the Holy Spirit do things his way. And we see people are added and ministries are released and elders are appointed and churches meet in their homes, in every town and city. In this new season, we must be super reliant, only reliant, utterly reliant, totally dependent on the Holy Spirit. We can trust him. He's the best evangelist. He's the supreme counsellor. He's your best friend. And he will take us where we need to go. There's loads of things that you could, you could do and, and pray about it, it as far as the, that is concerned. But I just want to move finally to say that I think what we see in the New Testament as we consider how, how the work grew so rapidly, what made the, the apostles, the churches, the elders, the deacons in their relationship together, what made them so successful? We see affection, we see affection, and we don't see apathy. We don't see apathy in the the way they related together. And I think this is a really vital hallmark of the partnership of the relationship. Uh, You read Acts and the Epistles, you can't fail to notice the overriding warmth and affection of Paul's relationship uh, with the churches and with their elders and with their deacons. If apathy is is a lack of feeling or concern or emotion or indifference, or impassiveness, then, then what we're reading about here is the total opposite of that. Just to give you a few examples, Paul writes to the Galatians, he describes them as his dear children in whom he's in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in them. He says he ministered to the Thessalonians, uh, 1 Thessalonians 2 verses 11 and 12, he says, as a father with his own children, and um, Encouraging, comforting, urging them, and even he says, as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children, the Philippians he says are are in his heart. We read that in one in Philippians one, verse seven, and in verse eight he says he he misses them deeply with the affection of Christ Jesus. There is affection prevalent in this relationship when um, when Paul is is saying farewell to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20 it says those elders um, wept and embraced him and kissed him and grieved because they wouldn't see him anymore. When Paul writes to the, the Corinthians who he also describes as his dear children um, when he gets into the, into his second letter one, in the second Corinthians he everythings everything's in the open with Paul here. he says he'd, he'd live or die for them. He has an abundant love for them. He will endure suffering for them. He takes pride in them. He longs to know how they're doing. He's deeply concerned for them. He hurts when they're in pain. In fact, he says in in 2 Corinthians 11 verse 28, he says that the the weight of of the burden, the the pain he feels for the churches at times weighs on him more intensely, more heavily than any of his other hardships that he went through. And then... um, in 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 5, he writes to the Corinthians. He talks about the struggles he's been through on the outside and the fears on the inside. This is, this is not a cold, distant relationship. This is Paul opening his heart to the churches and, and the elders in the churches in turn opening their hearts to him. And I want to finish by saying the, the New Testament churches grew daily and advanced their great commission together rapidly, effectively, fruitfully in the context of a powerful environment of deep affection. And I don't think those two things are coincidental. I believe when we really love each other, the spirit knows that, and he knows that we will really love those that he adds to us. So he adds to us. I believe we should and we do and we must continue to invest much time in our relationships. Psalm 133 is, is well known to us. I'll just read it in closing. It says this, how good and pleasant it is, and I get there, when brothers can live together in harmony it is like fine oil on the beard running down on the beard running down Aaron's beard on his robes it's like the dew of hermon falling on the mountains of zion for there where brothers sisters where we live together where we're in harmony for there the lord appoints the blessing life forevermore i'm um, i've always been thrilled by the idea that there's a growth there's a special growth that comes not from our plans, not from our strategies, not from our evangelism, not from our preaching, not because we have a building. There's a special growth that comes from simply being in harmony together. Warmth attracts others. Our harmony certainly attracts the blessing of God. God puts blessing on it, things grow. If we're distant in our life groups or as a church, if we're distant, Things will feel cold, but if we're friends living in harmony, the church will be warm and vibrant. We must make lots of time for this. God, God will really bless that kind of environment. I'll ask you just to um, consider that in groups as a moment, but let me just say in closing, finally, I think the next few years will be really incredible for our church. I'm so blessed to see the way that God is strengthening us and is adding to us at this time. I feel like he's setting us up for another quantum shift. This time it will be marked by an enlargement and a kind of a growth, an expansion, an extension that will be, as it says in Ephesians, above and beyond all that we have asked or thought or imagined so grateful that he's joined us together as co-workers in this great co-mission to the towns and villages and i trust you're as excited as me uh, for all the lies ahead so um i'm going to just stop at that point but uh you could consider in your groups this question it's a challenging one (laughs) how warm is your group are you a welcoming place for friends and visitors. I'm sure you are, but maybe the emphasis of the question is how could you make yourselves even warmer? How can you express friendship and affection together in a way that attracts the blessing of God and brings special growth? And then um, why don't you finish this evening, as, if you're meeting as a group, by praying that as churches together in our sphere of work, We will take hold of all for which Christ has taken hold of us. Great days are ahead. And I trust that this little study uh, this month, October 2021, will be a great help in moving us into all that God has for us. God bless you and thanks so much for listening or watching.